Hey, this is Raymond Benson, and you're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. You're listening to Rogue Agents, Episode 14, featuring, for your eyes only, the short story by Ian Fleming. Fourteenth episode of the Rogue Agents Podcast, a part of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast channel, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host, Agent Jason, codename Weasel Skull. And joining me today are my co-agents, and I'm going to turn to them and see what kind of Bondian things they've done since we've last chatted. And Jared, I'll start with you. How are you, and what's the last Bondian thing you've done? I am well, my fellow senior agent. And my Bondian thing that's been on my mind all day today, knowing we were going to record, all day, happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I met a gentleman from the UK. Okay. From the very city that Daniel Craig is from, which I'm not going to remember off the top of my head. Sure, I could Google it, but you know what? We don't spoon feed our listeners. I think it's it's probably called Craigston now, right? Yeah, it's probably yeah. Like Craigston, uh, Dannysboro, something like, like Craigsburg. <laughs> anyway, this young man, he was in his 20s, I would say, came to my house. He was exterminator. He was our exterminator, you know? Was he a problem eliminator? Yeah, <laughs> I like it. And he saw all the Bond paraphernalia mm-hmm. as he was doing his r- regular duties mm-hmm. and confided in me he was quite the Bond fan as well. What are his thoughts on Millennial Q? Uh, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't broach that topic. Okay, but okay, but sorry, I, there's going to be a payoff here, and I'll, <laughs> I'm going to let everybody take the moment to soak it in. Okay. He asks me, he asks me, what's my favorite Bond film? To which I say, License to Kill. Of course. Of course. And then, of course, being a good steward of 007 ship, I ask him, what's yours? Mm-hmm. Brace yourself. For now, I have met a man on this planet whose favorite James Bond film is Die Another Day. I'm gonna wake up. Did you kick him out? No. Did you kick him out? Ever, like, I went through a gamut of emotions when he revealed to me. Like, I like, huh. I like Die Another Day. And I was like, do I stab him? Do I kick wow. him out? What do I do? I was going to pull Rambo, but instead. You chilled? chilled. Yeah, okay. And I thought, you know, that's unique. For someone to just go into that full board, Die Another Day is your favorite one. So I, I had to ask, like, what, what appeals to you about that that film? And he said, my grandfather took me to cinema to see. It was my first James Bond movie. I'd never seen it before. I thought it was amazing. It made me want to see more. Mm-hmm. I loved them all. And it all started there. My grandfather at the cinema. And I was like, I dig that. That yep. sucked. Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, Thunderball, one of my favorites. First movie I saw with Dad. I get it. You know, you all watched it. It's kind of middle of the road for you guys. And I think that's fair. I mean, if I looked at it objectively, yeah, there were other Connery movies that were better. Definitely other Bond movies that were better. But to me, 
that's the one. That's the one because that's the one I watched with my dad. So respect. There you go. That's my tale. And I saved it to talk to you guys about that. I found someone whose favorite movie died another day. All right. Boy, that, that gives me a very Sigmund Freud moment. <laughs> analyze. Let's analyze this. Yeah, analyze analyze it. It. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to kill you. Yes or no. <laughs> was, his, was his name Pierce by any <laughs> Well, he put out roach traps. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> little traps instead of ca- instead of the the scorpions is catching little roaches. <laughs> you know, I think that out of all of us, really, the one that had the most love for Die Another Day, if memory is serves, was you, Pat. Yeah, possibly. But, I mean, it wasn't like your number one or anything like that, but you definitely, I think, had more uh, love for it than the rest of us. Probably, I think the song definitely. Yeah, you know, kind of like the song. But anyway, all right. Well, that's a great story, Jared. And, you know, hopefully we've got uh, another uh, listener. That's awesome. Let's uh, move down this list, though. Delvin's been waiting patiently in the wings. Delvin, how are you? And what's the most bonding thing you've done since we've last checked in? I'm good, Jason. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. And I guess the most Bond-like thing that I did is... Uh, at my jujitsu school, I was awarded the rank of Purple Belt. Oh. And that was like a lot of hard work and dedication. Take Mr. Williams to school. <laughs> That's all I got. Sorry, proceed. <laughs> and yeah. before I got my belt, my instructor Steve punched me in the stomach. Oh, but I, I stood. I stood firm. I stood <laughs> that was firm. the job interview. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, he awarded me the purple belt. So. Yeah, super proud, super honored. That was a freaking lot of hard work, man. But I'm uh, grateful and glad that I got that done. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah congratulations on that. I remember you uh, when you were talking about preparing for it, and there was a lot of runway between that conversation and when you actually got it done. So I can only imagine that there was probably a lot of practicing and rehearsal is probably not only physically very demanding, but probably mentally pretty tough as well. Oh, yeah. To belabor this a little bit longer, the day of the test, it was about a 90-some-odd degree day with some humidity here in Charlotte, and the air conditioning at the school was out. It was on the fritz. And the test is about an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer, of constant movement uh, the entire time. And so, like, I'm pretty much gassed. After the test, and our instructor stands us up and he wants to talk about commonly missed things on the test. And I'm standing up. I can't catch my breath. It was so hot. I looked at my feet and there was a I was standing in a pool of my own sweat, which is a good thing because I wasn't wasn't dehydrated, thankfully. But like I almost blacked out. It was those military formations of knowing how to not lock your knees. That basically saved me. Well, we're proud of you here on the show, and uh, congratulations, man. Thanks, man. I don't know. You think Bruce Lee had an air-conditioned facility? I don't, I don't care. <laughs> 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 I try to be Bruce Lee, man. I'm just a <laughs> Yeah, well, you did better than I did. I would have walked in like too hot. <laughs> I'm in the car. <laughs> no, we, seriously, though, we are proud of you. Mm-hmm. He's like our yep. very own Lieutenant Hip. Oh, that's right. Pat, you've been waiting so patiently. How are you today? And what's the most bonding thing that you've done since we've last checked in? 
Well, Jason, I am glad you asked. I do not have a big extravagant story at all, uh, like the other two have, so I'll just get right to it. The most bonding thing that I've done is over the weekend, I like to cut my grass, and sometimes it gets a little long, so then I get down on my knees, and then I start to do a little belly crawl, like I'm sneaking up on somebody, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But sometimes I got to stop. I got to, you know, get those wrists loose and get those knees loose and all that. But, you know, my sneakiness. I've been working on my sneaking, sneakiness. You didn't have have another uh, woman to ambush you while crawling, though, did you? Because that would be embarrassing if that happened. No, unfortunately, my, my wife, she was doing some other things. She was like, what are you doing crawling on the grass? <laughs> Cut the grass. Stop playing around out there. Like, you can't see me. Yeah, <laughs> you can see me. Three hundred meters. I'm hiding here. <laughs> and what about you, Jason? What is the most Bondian thing you've done since last episode? Not a whole heck of a lot. Probably the the most dangerous thing that I've done is I actually went to a movie theater for the first time in over a year. I did. I went the in. Hell did you say, sir? I did. Black Widow came out. Had to go see it, and I had to go see it large on the IMAX, and it's Ooh. the only way to see Black Widow. Man, it was it's a terrific movie. I really enjoyed it. Of course, we're all waiting for the one. You know, you know, it's supposed to come out October. I don't come think on, it's October. Like, it's not a drill. <laughs> I tell you what, guys, I did a little research today. Don't tell me that it got punted. Don't. I, I'm not telling you it got punted but I'm going to tell you something that might depress you in the time between spectra Mm -hmm. and the supposed release of no time to die in October. We've had no James Bond movies, but Dwayne, the rock Johnson has been in no fewer than 11 movies Mm. in that time frame. Frickin Jimmy's bonds. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, dang the rock 11 films, Daniel Craig, Zero films. <laughs> Come on, Danny boy. The Clock pipes are kicking. calling, son. Yeah. From Glen to Glen and down the mountainside. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, we're off the rails here. Let me get us back on. Well, thank you, everybody. This episode is the 14th episode of our ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rogue Agents. And this is where we traverse the 007 universe. That could mean books, which we're going to do a little uh, book report today. That could mean music. It could mean video games. Give a little plug here. My brother, uh, the yard sale artist over there, uh, has got his uh, James Bond video game podcast, Volume 3, I believe it is, that's out now. Is that correct, Jared? Verified, Volume 3, 2000 to 2009. I'm about an hour into it, really enjoying it so far. But essentially, any medium that connects to the Bond franchise that we love so much here on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, yeah, we're going to talk about it. So we hope you join us. We don't have a guest today. I'm running this show. So it's going rogue. It's, go- it's going rogue. It's rogue ages. It's going rogue. It's, it's Pat, since you, you spoke up first, I'm going to put Damn this it. question to you first. And what I want to know from you, after having traversed all the Bond films, What's the one movie line or quote that really sticks in your head that you really like? What's the, your favorite Bond movie quote? I'll let you mull this over. I already know the answer for Pat. Oh, yeah. I'll give you a hint. It's an Eastern European country. 
Czechoslovakia. <laughs> All right. I don't know, Pat. If you got another one, go ahead. I didn't want to put words in your no, mouth. No, no, you know, no. That's a tough question, really, when you put me on the spot like that. So I'd have to go with that for right now. Yeah. And another five in Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. All right. All right. Delvin, what's a favorite bottom line that sticks in your head? Just from the delivery of it, the first thing I thought of off the top of my head was the very uh, self-titled, but also appropriate, when Electra, I believe it was, was telling James, I could have given you the world, and he replied, the world is not enough. I could have given you the world. The world is not enough. Foolish sentiment. Family motto. Oh, good one. That's a good line. For many reasons. And like that was one of the ones that jumped out to me first. So I'll go with that. That is a good one, Delvin. I mean, there's sometimes where they really try to kind of force feed the title mm-hmm. or, or something into the script, but that one did really land. That's a good, good point. Jared, you know it's going to you. And I think I know the line that you're going to choose, but. I'll be silent. See if no, no, don't be that. silent. I want to know if you can. I guess it. Can I guess it? Okay, go, go ahead, Pat. This one's for Sharky. Oh, yeah. Ooh, close. Oh, all right. I think it's one that I alluded to earlier, where I he think said, you're "Right, yeah, sort of a licensed troubleshooter." I'll set it up for you. <laughs> he says, ah, "I have people with problems." Oh, you like a problem solver? More like a problem eliminator. <laughs> And what business is that? I help people with problems. Problem solver. More of a problem eliminator. That's my line. That's a great line. line. I love it. (laughs) Well, it's come full circle to me. In honor of the book For Your Eyes Only, I'm going to take a quote from For Your Eyes Only from one of the best scenes Roger Moore ever delivered when he tosses that pin into lock as Locke's car is dangling off the cliff, and he says, you left this with Ferrara, I believe. You left this with Ferrara, I believe. And then kicks his ass off the cliff. <laughs> that is cold blood. Yeah, he had no head for heights. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for playing that little game with me, guys. I appreciate it. That was fun. Anyway, why are we here? We're here to talk about the James Bond short story for your eyes only. The publisher was Ian Fleming Productions, and it was released in April of 1960. And the writer was a little unknown scribe named Ian Fleming. We talk about him from time to time. And the plot description goes a little something like this. has a problem. When a middle-aged British couple is brutally murdered in Jamaica by a Cuban hit squad, the Admiral feels compelled to dispense some double-O justice, particularly because the couple were old friends of his. But that's the issue. Is he doing his duty or misusing resources for his own private vendetta? Option B. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I think a little column A, a little column B. A little more column B. (laughs) Fortunately for him, James Bond is not too particular, and away he goes to the wooded hills of northern Vermont to dispense some rough justice to the perpetrators of the crime. Along the way, however, his plans become complicated 
when he encounters the bow-wielding Judy, who's the daughter of the victims, and she's looking to avenge the loss of her parents. Forming an uneasy alliance, the two join forces and soon find themselves in a violent shootout at a cabin in the woods. When the dust and the gun smoke settle, only 007 and Judy are left standing, each leaving with a lesson. When you set out on revenge, first dig two graves. Actually, they needed four, but, you know, that's beside the point. So anyway, fellas, going around the horn. Pet, is this a first read or a reread for you? It is a first read for me. Good, good. Delvin? Never read it before, sir. All right, Jared, I think I know the answer here, but we'll let you say it. Reread, but it's been probably 15 years. That's a reread for me as well, and fairly recently, because I think I read it just last year. I really like it, though. Let's get into the meat of this book a little bit. Let's talk highs, lows, whatthas, and we'll start with Delvin. Delvin, give me a high or a low or a question you have about the book. I don't think there are many questions to be had there. Just a random thought, seeing uh, that the wild, unkempt woman's name was Judy Havelock, mm-hmm. I was looking to see whether it was going to be a Melina, and it was not. I much rather prefer Melina, actually, to Judy. Judy seemed rather plain, but I should get to a more substantive higher low. I'll give it a low, but it's not like a full low, meaning... Okay. Man, it was about a 50-page short story, maybe 50, 60 pages about. And, man, it took about 45 pages or so for it to get to the action action. And that tells me, that tells old Dark Web that I have been reading way too many comic books and not enough novels. Because, like, the buildup was coming. It's like, she's beautiful with unkempt hair. And it's like a James Bond was working the gun and the gun had a barrel that was 14 inches like i don't care let's fight <laughs> i know the fight's building let me see the fight <laughs> 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 what's I, my I, name? i'll let it myself here we fight <laughs> what's going on give me one or the other oh man meanwhile oh. i'm the guy that like when it described his rifle i google imaged it so i could see what it looked like was it close? Yeah, I mean, it was an actual long-range rifle based off a of Winchester. It was lever action, like the Old West type of uh, lever action with the rifles. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was kind of cool. I thought it was a pretty neat-looking weapon. Nice. Enough of the filler, get to the killer. That's what Delvin was Yes, sir. <laughs> Delvin saying. Pat, what do you think? Uh, high, low? I guess I'm going to go with it as a high. And reading these novels, being the second one that I've actually read, I like the detail that's happening here. And I guess in Bond's character, what I find is that he's really not the best agent because you read these novels or you watch the movies. Someone's always kind of besting him. You know, they went through, like Delvin said, lots of pages for him building up of getting out to where he had to get to in the mountains and working his way back down, blah, 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 doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden he stops and there's someone, you know, Hey, what are you doing? I see you. Where you going? <laughs> yep. I'm like, you're supposed to be a super secret agent and you're building all this up. And then you just get bested by this person. And then, you know, I kept thinking to myself, yeah, that happens to him a lot, but you he know, finds his way out of it. 
Yeah, you bring up a really good point, and I'm glad you mentioned it, Pat, because that's one of the things that I've noticed about the literary bond as well. There's a lot more fallibility to it. He's not, yeah, and I think that's cool because he's just a human, right? Yeah, as listeners may or may not know, I've been working my way through all of the Ian Fleming novels. That is a trend that I've noticed. I just finished on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and there's the scene in there where he rescues Tracy when she can't cover the bet that she makes. He rescues her. It's like that scene in the movie. But in the book, he also wants to get revenge on the guy that beat her. There's like this mano a mano thing now. And he actually loses. And he has to walk away and says, well, you know, at least I rescued her. Uh, I, I went too far with this one. And it's like, that would never happen in the movies. But yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up, Pat. Good Even point. then in this where he's, you know, kind of thinking it through his head of, is this the right thing for me to be doing for the revenge? Is it not the, re-? you know, I'm yeah. just a hired gun, so I got to do what I'm told to do. But, you know, he struggles with that. Yeah. I like that a lot, Pat. And they did that a little bit in Risico mm-hmm. as well, where you know, they mentioned a very human side of Bond in that he was not afraid, but he showed fear or like an adrenaline kind of got to him at, yeah. at a particular moment. And so I did like reading that. And I liked that he's like, even though he did, you know, he told him he's going to do the thing, he's going to plot the mission. He still had to kind of find motivation and reasons to want to put these men in the ground. And he's like, well, they killed, you know, Judy's pets for Pete's sake. Yeah. These are not good yeah. men at all. And just he had to build up reasons again. Yeah, really good point. Jared, you've been patient over there. Anything you want to add to the conversation or another high or a low? Absolutely. I have lots to add. How much time will you give me? I feel like Pat on an episode of, well, everything. You have 10. 28. (laughs) Oh, no. God damn, Jerry's already started. (laughs) All right. I'm going to take the flip side of Agent Webb's coin. I always like it in the Bond films where you sort of see the downside of being a secret agent, which is one of my highlights of Die Another Day. I like the fact that you saw him get kidnapped and tortured and like, it's not all, it's not all sexy women and fast cars or another not favorite movie of mine, but great moment, Quantum of Solace, where Mathis dies and he basically robs him and puts him in a dumpster. And I think that's a great moment because it shows you it's not sexy and it's not cars and, And Bond's basically looking at his own potential end here. Like, this is the game, right? So I like the downsides of the game. And while this wasn't as extreme, I really appreciate the whole, this is what it takes. Because if this was a movie, we'd cut to him in the forest with the rifle. Oh, there's Melina. I mean, that's basically what they did for your eyes only. Yeah. But they showed how he had had to go through the officials, how he had to make the trail, how he had to hide his tracks, how he had to keep his noise down. Like the whole gamut of what it takes to go set up a kill as an assassin. And I was like, that's cool. Those are the details that you don't get in cinematic bond. And I get, I get Delvin's point. If you're, you know, don't bore us, get to the course. I get it. It might not be exciting, but I personally thought, well, this is kind of cool. This is something that we don't get to see much of. So that's what I'll do for my round one. Let wow. me join you on that side, Jared. You're right. That attention to detail That's not something I would know. I wouldn't know that, you know, he's crawling and he heard a sound and that sound was that dead twig snapping. And he's like, well, animals don't do that. Animals don't go across dead twigs. 
But I looked and I waited 10 minutes and I didn't see anybody. So I'm going to keep going. Attention to detail like that is is wonderful. And you're, and, and you're right. That part of it is cool. So please don't let like my comic book attention span take away from the fact that the buildup was very well written. Thanks for that, Delvin. Yeah, I think you guys really touched on an important point here. I like as he's walking through the woods, as he's getting closer to his target, he starts to just focus his mind on questions like, you know, I wonder if birds will ever stop having their fear of man out here. And yeah. you know, he's trying to keep his mind off of what it is he has to do. And I thought that was really well played out. So there's both the physical and the mental preparation needed to do that job. So good point all around. Good discussion, guys, for the first round. Well, let's go into round two. And, uh, you know, Delvin, I'm going to start with you this time. Uh, do you have a, another high or low to kick us off? That fight was pretty brutal. We haven't really talked about it. And it was quick. But at the same time, I mean, for Pete's sake, Bond had a sniper rifle. It's not like you're going to have very long-pitched sniper rifle battles. <laughs> not really a thing, right? Like, you're about if it, 500. If it is, you're in trouble. <laughs> you are in, in deep doo-doo. Absolutely. <laughs> And sure enough, if you're counting the shots, Bond missed more than he hit, which got him in a little bit of trouble and to the point where he basically had to stand out in the open and freaking, you know, put paid uh, to Major Gonzalez at the end of it. So in a sense, Judy was kind of more of an efficient killer than Bond was because Judy said, I got looked. I already have this plan. I got this lined up. I know when he's going to be vulnerable. I'm going to take the shot. And she did. And he died. Even though she got shot, though. But very good action is a good place to stop. Really, really good action. It took about, like, the last 10 or 15 pages. And it's like, is this going to pay off? And it it did. It did pay off. Thanks, Delvin. That's a good point. Pat, anything to add? I'm just going to piggyback off of Delvin again with the detail that is in Fleming's writing, not only through the non-action stuff, the detail, you know, describing a room, describing the scene and describing how Bond feels and his thoughts. But even then that action scene, I could just see that all playing out in my mind very well with the writing that was done. It's just really great detail on what you really need to know about the scene and the action going on. I know what you mean. You really felt like you could see that cabin. You could see the yeah. lake. You could see the furniture, the type of furniture it was. Yeah. I felt the same way, Pat. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. And you know, this is the second short story I brought to this program. The first one we talked a little bit about was Risico. Getting ahead of myself a little bit here, looking in the fun facts. This book, like Risico, the locations of the main action scenes were places Fleming had been. So I could really imagine him just being like staying at this cabin and going, this would be a great place for a shootout, you know, <laughs> like, and, the, and then the, that's the start of this story. So I think that definitely is one of the strengths. He really brings an environment that he's yeah. been, absorbs it, lays it out on the page, and then overlays the action on top of it. Really good point, Pat. Jared, you've been patient. Anything to add? But of course. 
first of all, I just want to say that much like last time, it was nice to just sit down and read a book, which I don't do enough of. It was, here, here. It was an experience. And like last time, I would like to read a passage. I'd like to read my favorite passage. It's slightly longer than last time, so if you will bear with me. Of course. I will read, and then we will make some comments. Okay, go for it. Bond said, I wouldn't hesitate for a moment, sir. If foreign gangsters find they can get away with this kind of thing, they'll decide the English are as soft as some other people seem to think we are. This is a case for rough justice, an eye for an eye. Him went on looking at Bond. He gave no encouragement, made no comment. Bond said, these people can't be hung, sir, but they ought to be killed. Him's eyes ceased to focus on Bond. For a moment, they were blank, looking inward. Then he slowly reached for the top drawer of his desk on the left-hand side, pulled it open and extracted a thin file with the usual title across it and without the top-secret red star. He placed the file squarely in front of him and his hand rummaged again in the open drawer. The hand brought out a rubber stamp and a red ink pad. M opened the pad, stamped the rubber stamp on it, and then carefully, so that it was properly aligned with the top right-hand corner of the docket, pressed it down on the gray cover. M replaced the stamp and the ink pad in the drawer and closed the drawer. He turned the docket around and pushed it gently across the desk to Bond. The red sans serif letters, still damp, said, for your eyes only. Bond said nothing, He nodded and picked up the docket and walked out of the room. My favorite passage from the book says so much. The meticulous nature of M putting the stamp perfectly in the corner, not telling Bond it's a mission, just sliding it over. Bond just accepting it and moving on. Great character moments between he and, and M, of course. The only downside to it is it kind of betrays future moments we're not a country club 007 we're, we're kind of a country club 007 when i need it to be 007 <laughs> you know but i like the passage uh, that's some strong fleming writing if you ask me i like that a lot i thought it said a lot about m's character bond's character their relationship all in just a couple of paragraphs and i'll open that up for any comment anybody else has on that that's probably the one thing that we hadn't talked about. And I always, I mean, I love the dynamic in the movie and anytime that it goes in the book, it always seems Ian Fleming seems to add something that just tells you a little bit of about a facet about the dynamic between M and James Bond. Just even how M started, you know, he just kind of took his time. He was, just really kind of patient and he slammed the you know book of matches down and you could tell he's really in thought and even Bond's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And he asked this really weird off the wall question about, you know, a personal matter with Bond and it took kind of Bond aback because he didn't quite know how to answer the question, but it led to the point that M was like, I'm the one that has to make all the tough decisions. And it sometimes is a burden. Not sometimes. It is an enormous burden and you have no idea of the burden. And in this case, I'm putting the burden on you to decide what's going on. That was very fantastically written because it was a leader talking to a subordinate, but it was a leader putting that subordinate in a position where it's like, well, look, I can't make you do this because I'm conflicted about it myself, but I want to put this matter in your hands and see what you're going to do about it. 
That is really well put. I don't think I could sum that scene up any better. Pat, any thoughts? No, not much. I do agree with Jared that, again, that's Fleming's writing coming out where he's getting both the characters and, in a way, setting the scene, painting the scene for you in your mind. I saw the whole thing. You know, I saw that stamp. I saw that. Maybe that's due to the movie and the poster treatment or, the, you know, the title treatment, too, and that where it, it's got that stamp for your eyes only. But it came alive to me. Yeah. I think it's a cool callback or call forward <laughs> because this is written beforehand. But sure. we did an episode about Delvin Prada. It was a comic book episode, and it was another one where M asked James Bond to do a personal mission. Ibrahim Mustafa wrote Solstice, and he's clearly read his Fleming. Because if you remember in Solstice, as soon as he called him James, Bond had that look like, oh, we're in a different category. And he mentions it in this book. He says, when he calls me James, we're in a whole new area. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are in strange waters. <laughs> and so I thought, wow, Ibrahim Mustafa, applause to you, sir, for knowing your Bond inside and out. But that's a really good detail where when you think about it, like Delvin mentioned too, is M's trying to get a way to say, hey, I got a personal thing. You know what I mean? Kind of those hints of we're not talking business anymore. We're talking personal. Right. Mm-hmm. And he can't say that. He cannot yeah. say. he's. He, they're literally in the office. Yes. You cannot say this is not business that I'm handing you this dossier of information on killing people. This is mm-hmm. personal. You just kind of have to Take nod your head. It's like, because maybe you're being recorded. Maybe you're being watched. And it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, we have that, no pun intended, we have that bond between each other. Like, I just got your agreement. I understand it. I got your agreement. Here's your mission off the books. Go. It's very similar, like Jared was saying, to Ibrahim Mustafa's solstice when they were sitting in M's office. M never says a word. He just holds up that picture of his daughter. Yep. And Bond at first doesn't realize it's his daughter, but then he places to there's there's not a word spoken. Just he's like, oh, got it. I'm off. (laughs) Count on me, sir. So I'll just add, you know, one final thought to this. and, And I know readers can't see this, but in the script notes, I put I had to choose which Bond cover to put on the script. And there's a lot to choose from because this book's been reprinted a lot of times. But the one that called out to me was exactly because of the passage Jared read. And the, and so if you take a look at it, it's the one with the rubber stamp for your eyes only laying on the desk. Nice. Yes. I have the vintage paperback. Let's see when this one was done. This is the 25th printing of it in 1960. <laughs> God, a lot of, a lot of printings, but that's the one. Oh, that's the one, huh? Yeah, I had the more recent. This one was like 2000 something. (laughs) 2012. All right. So, fellas, in homage to the last time we did a book review, we asked the question Which Bond actor did you envision when you read this story? Jared, I'll start with you this time. All right. Timothy Dalton, moving on. (laughs) That'll be all. That'll be all. That'll be all, 007. That'll be all. <laughs> Mostly Dalton, but I will admit that in this one, I had a little bit of Craig creeping it. This felt Craigish to me as well. I started thinking Craig, but then I was like, no, Craig never goes rogue for his boss. He always goes rogue for somebody else. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> we're kind of a country club 007. <laughs> I really need 007 to go rogue for me, but I'm sorry, sir. He's gone rogue for his old boss that died that left a video tape for him on his television. It's like a posh <laughs> resort, but it's not a country club. <laughs> <laughs> There's membership fees involved. You know what? <laughs> Never mind. Just go Just kill these four. <laughs> just don't use the back traction machine you might get stuck on it oh well, yeah, i mean i think obviously i got into the dalton and craig vibe because it started out very violently mm-hmm. like that whole scene with those dudes in the havelocks it was like oh man <laughs> yeah that was like a slow burn i'm oh, like this is man. going bad Mm-hmm. And but you got the havelocks like just being really proper english mm-hmm. people oh, no, no, no. and he's like <laughs> You ain't going to grab no Roger Moore to solve this one. You need a Timmy D or a Daniel Craig. Yeah, he's the one with the wolf size. Even though Roger Moore was a star for your eyes only, heavily based on the story, and he did a darn fine job. So, eh. But anyway, you knew it. It was Timmy D with a dash of Craig. All right, we got Timmy D with a dash of Craig. Delvin. Yeah, I agree with Jared. My first thought was Dalton a little bit, but I was like, hmm, it could be more Craig as well because I could definitely see Craig doing a mission like that for his M for the day as well. I think either one of those would work good. I thought Connery for a bit, but I'm like, yeah, no, I like the idea of kind of being, even though like being painted red or whatever, that could be painfully. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you only look twice. (laughs) Look at me, I'm an Indian. No, no, Sean. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> so, yeah, ultimately, Dalton slash Craig would be good. I think it would be almost near interchangeable. I'd probably lean a little bit more towards Dalton. All right, fair enough. Pat, let's bring you around the horn. Are you going to keep the Dalton train going, the Dalton Craig train going, or are you throwing in one of the other uh, actors here? Mine is a very young Sean Connery, very young. Is the way I'm picturing him. Maybe it's the writing because it uses, you know, some of that older language. And so it kind of puts me in that style uh, and kind of area. I just picture a younger Sean Connery, you know, in his early startup years as a Bond. That scene with the Canadian uh, agent. I could see Connery in that scene. I see him in the scenes with Judy. It's very Connery's treatment of women, which isn't great. Yeah, but she still, work. she still couldn't resist it. That's <laughs> very Sean Connery. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, ultimately, you know, and even though I made a little bit of fun of the Daniel Craig movies there, Daniel Craig was the one that was most in my mind in this for whatever reason. I saw him carrying this story. So there it is. Got some mad love for uh, Timmy and Daniel. And uh, we got a little bit of a splash of Sir Sean from uh, Cristados there. So awesome. Before we dive into the rating, of course, I have some fun facts that I dug up for this book, which I will share now with you good fellas. First off, we've kind of touched on this already. The original title of the story was Man's Work. That's what he had originally intended to call it. Number two, we touched on this a little bit already. The Cabin in Vermont was based on an actual location owned by a friend Fleming visited called Bryce's Black Hollow Farm. Road trip. Let's go. It's always weird when Bongo's the States and Canada, I, know. I guess. Yeah. 
And I got to say, we touched on it a, a little bit, how instead of Melina, we have Judy. But I could definitely see Carol Bouquet as Melina in that scene. You know what I mean? I would say the scene from the movie, even though really different, had at its essence this short story in it. I concur. I agree. Finally, fun fact number three, the character Von Hammerstein was taken from General Kurt Von Hammerstein, who was actually an opponent of Hitler's in World War II. An opponent or a proponent? <laughs> he was an, an opponent. He, okay, because he was a uh, proponent in this time. <laughs> no, he was a political opponent. I don't know what happened to him, but I'm going to guess it wasn't good. <laughs> it was probably bad. Uh, he probably ended up going to Cuba, I'm guessing. Possibly. Well, let's dive into the rating for this book, and I'm going to give the folks a quick reminder of the rating system. We score this on a one through seven, and seven means that you loved it. It shook your martini. Six means it's excellent. Five means it's very good. Four, it's good. Three, just okay. Two, not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini. And we'll start with Jared. How many martinis are you giving the short story for your eyes only? Oh, it was a good one. I really enjoyed reading it. Definitely saw the ties to the film. Definitely enjoyed the flimminess. I'm going to go with a solid six. Six martinis for me. All right. Six martinis from Jared. We'll pass it to Delvin. You're going to keep the martinis flowing, sir. Absolutely. It was a very good read. It was a brisk read. Quick. You know how it is. You Sometimes you see like 50 pages, and that's not even a lot. It's not even 50 huge pages, you know, but still that laziness creeps in and you're like, eh. And I was like, I'll read, you know, half yesterday and half today. And I probably got through about 30, 35 pages like, no, it's actually getting away. Let me go to bed, which is a good sign because it just got to the point where he met Judy. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh it's picking up. And, and I had to stop. So this is good story, good action. Good heroine, good bad guys as well. It's a six. It is really, really, really good. I think just we got to talk about the comic book. Yeah, with Solstice. And I think Solstice was Ibrahim Mustafa's uh, kind of love affair for the written book For Your Eyes Only. And that I gave a seven. This is this is right there at a six. Just being able to see it depicted, enhanced it. And made it just that much better. But this was fantastic. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Delvin. All right, Pat. One through seven. Martini still flowing? Or are you going to uh, cut us off here? I'm going to give this a six. I'm with Delvin and Jared on this one. Another great story. Great characters. Great detail. Really enjoyed it. And like Jared said in the beginning, reading a book again, it's like, man. I got to get back to doing this. It's so fun to do, especially when you got a really good story to dive into it. Like Delvin, I thought the same thing. I was reading it and I'm like, I can only, I'm going to read up to this point. Then I'll do it, you know, break it up like I normally do. But I kept turning the page and turning the page. And I ended up reading this in like three different times. I got to the beginning where the end of the Havelocks. And then I stopped and then I got to with M and bond and then bond into 
the mounty area just a little bit and then finished it up from that point on to the end. So just really intrigued. And then I kept going, man, I can't wait till I can read this again when I got time to read it again and just felt so good to read that book. And one thing I wanted to mention too is I really liked that scene when he was talking to the person at the Mountie as well too. That was a great scene and just Mm -hmm. how that guy was kind of shifty around and, you know, just I'm helping you, but I'm not helping you, you know, and I thought it was like, cool. What about you, Jason? You know, I want to give this one a seven so bad, but the one low point for me that didn't really cover is the forced romantic, you know, conclusion between Judy and Bond. You know, and that's my one criticism of Fleming's writing. Like, I don't know that he really understood women, or maybe I don't understand women, and and he's he's the only one that got it. I don't know. It felt kind of icky to me a little bit, you know, and his interactions with M feel natural and spot on. His interactions, we talked about it with the Canadian agent, felt spot on. It just didn't really... It didn't feel icky to me so much as it felt contrived. Forced. Yeah, that's yeah. a better I mean, that's yeah. a better word. Yeah. She was kind of into it, so it didn't feel icky, but like it was like eh. I don't see why she had to be submissive. It's like, yeah, after the murdering's done, she's submissive. And it's like eh. <laughs> Right. Yeah, she got that she, out of her system. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. Contrived is a much better better word for it. Thank you. So, yeah, so I'm going to land on a six. So six is all around for us. But, you know, great, great book. And I'm always a little bit nervous when I pick these because I know I'm asking you guys to read, you know, 40, 50 pages. And it's like, I'm not bringing a comic. Delvin does it every crusade. (laughs) 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 Fair point. point. You know, reading these again makes me want to see if somebody could do these stories in these books just the way they were like little mm-hmm. short vignettes and all that, like instead of trying to combine them like they did with the movies, I'd like to see them, you know, little seasons of bond stuff it would be yeah. really cool. Like, like an animated series. We've talked yeah. about like on Netflix, yeah. like, and it's only, maybe it's only 20 minutes. Yeah. But like but, to do yeah. this or, or solstice, the comic or, or yeah, just these little, not sure about Kamasalis. Don't think that would make a good one. <laughs> but, uh, the book is weird, y'all. Is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I saw that was, I'm like, Kamasalis. I'm like, yeah, oh. it's a little strange. That, it's still, if it's you want to talk about Fleming having issues with women, it's all right there. In that hmm. story. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been a common theme I've noticed throughout <laughs> the Fleming writing. But I'm with you, Pat. I think a short a series of shorts would be cool. Yeah. Just based off of the stories that are in the novels, it would be kind of neat. Yeah, it was interesting because Fleming at the time, this was another kind of, as I was looking through the fun facts, something I learned was he was trying to write these as like television episodes. He was trying to negotiate a television deal. Okay. And so For Your Eyes Only was originally supposed to be a, to be a television episode. So that's what its original purpose was. So... You're spot on. <laughs> I'd love to see these television shows now. Come on, HBO, Amazon Prime, Netflix, huh? Peacock. You're all out there. Somebody get on this. All right. Well, we've had enough fun for this evening. I hope you all enjoyed it. But now it's time to pass it over to our network founder, Van Plexico, to thank all the Patreon sponsors who make this show possible. 
So just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or you can just go to patreon.com and search for White Rocket and join up. And it's for as little as a dollar a month, you get to be part of the show. And we send out, we, I post things occasionally on the Patreon page of interest. And you get previews, you get special deals, special offers, and discounts on things that we do. And you sometimes get shows before the, uh, the regular audience does. Here are the fine folks who are currently keeping our programs on the air that we owe everything to. Samuel Salvatore and Bart Lindsay. Uh, Bradley Blackman, Brian Gray, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Willie Carden, Ann Kanjian, A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodsworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Nguyen, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris Hilton, Chris Thrash, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Plus, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Dibama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Mike Finley, Papa Todd, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Shannon Butson, Sarah Hines, Shane Bailey, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Todd Gray, Tony Perry, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Brandon Sisson, Brandon Smith, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Don, Donnie Reynolds, Plus, Ivor Evans, James Taylor, Jason Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Lawrence Kane, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Nicholas Craig, Patrick Williams, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Robert O. Sammons, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, that's the truth, Ruth, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Kenneth Brent Rains, Brant Rumble, and Chris Plus, our one-time and anonymous donors, we thank you all so much. Go to www.plexico.net or just go to www.patreon.com and sign up and join the family. Well, that's the show. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page, at OHMS pod. If you'd like, you can even use the old email. And as a reminder, that's OHMS pod at outlook.com. And you can send us an audio recording of your question or comment. And we might even play it on the show. And we would love to hear from you and make you part of the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. And I just figured out how to do that after how many years of being a part of this show. So if anybody has any questions, you know, text me. I'll show you how to do it. Jason's officially tech support now. Uh, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> don't, I know how to... don't, don't text them. Fax them. He, he still has a fax machine. <laughs> right. I'll fax you back instructions. Mash that five-star support. You can try beeping them, too, on his pager. All right. Enough of you guys. Anyway. Helping us will help raise the show's profile to attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. Before we go, let's find out where listeners can find us on the internet. And we'll start with Pat. 
Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Jared? I am at Yard Sale Artist. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is all at Yard Sale Artist. You can also find me near the border of Canada and Vermont. Delvin? I am at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y-1977. Jared, could, could you hook me up with some syrup? I, I hear the syrup is immaculate. You got it. <laughs> all right. And I'm at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Before I sign us off, I want to thank the team for obliging me and reading this book. We actually read a book with no pictures or illustrations, and uh, we all enjoyed it. So thank you, Pat. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Delvin. I appreciate you guys doing it and had a real fun time recording this with you tonight. Thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find the Longbox Crusade on www.longboxcrusade.com or on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Longbox Crusade. Back to you. Thank you, Pat. And thanks again to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. And thanks to the listeners who tuned in. The next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature, and this is going to be Delvin's Choice, so stand by to find out, but on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we'll return. I got a great idea and we can cut this out if you guys want to but okay why don't we or at least the better agents the older agents maybe they can come up with valentine's day cards using just bond lines <laughs> let me tell you the secret of the world <laughs> as long as the carpet matches the drapes Christmas does come twice a year. <laughs> Just all the worst ones. That's what I'm saying. It would be funny. I'm hey, Dr. Goodhead. A woman. <laughs> yeah, girls do science too, Raj. <laughs> Named after your father, perhaps. <laughs> I'm plenty. Oh, plenty too. <laughs> oh, yeah. We could come up with those Valentine's Day cards for you, Pat. We'll knock that out. Don't, don't one get, get his. Oh, didn't I do Delvin? I thought Delvin said... Yeah. yeah I said the world is not, is enough. not enough. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. The world I'm spacing. is sorry. not enough. <laughs> there are some good lines that I never miss. That's another good I one. I never miss is a good one. Ooh. That's a good one. Yeah.
Cold blooded. Cold blooded. <laughs> right. Things are about to get nasty. See, that would be great. Well, that would be on a great Valentine's Day card. I never miss <laughs> when it comes to you. I never miss when it comes to your heart. That's right. <laughs> I'm aiming for your heart, and I never miss. No, literally, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> this, is, this is not a double entendre. I'm going to get my affairs in order. You're going to die tonight. We can make money off of these. It'd be a good idea. I come from a land down. Uh, safety <laughs> men, dance. Men at work. Never mind. Anyway, Pat, I'm really disappointed that you didn't say no heroin. Because Dove, Dove mentioned heroin. Never mind. Oh. Yeah, I, 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 I wagged my finger. Me too. Me too. When he said, I, have an I was deep heroin. in my own thoughts at yeah. the moment. Yes. <laughs> Deep in uh, my own thoughts. Okay. All right. We'll 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 let it pass. This is gotta be like the most mature show we've ever done. I know. I feel proud. Like <laughs> usually I'm the one riding it off the rails. Maybe I, you all need to make me host more. I stay on my best behavior when I'm hosting. Uh all right.